Father, when we come before you, Lord, we're, uh, we're filled with wonder. And it, it's only as it should be that we would be filled with wonder as we have the opportunity to worship the sovereign of the universe. Lord, open our hearts. Open our, our spirits that we might see the one in whose presence we are. We thank You, Father. You're the one who is glorious. You're the one who is worthy of our praise. Lord, open our hearts. Open our minds. Let us see You. Let us see You through Your Word. Bring us to worship. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Please, uh, please be seated. I love the the chapel's mission statement. It's clear. It is concise, and the words and the concepts are faithful to God and His Word. Uh, it reads this: Through the teaching of God's Word, we nurture. And equip people for worshiping God, living godly lives, serving one another, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, as one dedicated to the ministry as a pastor teacher, I'm, I'm honored to be able to preach the Word of God. But however, early, and, and Barb cured me of this by, by and large, early in my ministry, every time I would learn a new theological a word, the bigger the better, I, would, I, I couldn't wait to use it in a sermon. And, uh, and, and, you know, and I still have that tendency. I mean, just last year when my, my brother visited me, I've only seen twice in uh, 47 years, something along those lines. He doesn't attend church. Anyway, he visited and, uh, and he told me, uh, yeah, no, he wasn't going to. He wasn't going to waste his time. He wasn't going to bother going to church to hear me preach. Later in the conversation, he told a, a joke that, that used the word exothermic. And he remarked, I'll bet you can't use that in a sermon. Well, I, he was right about the joke. I, I couldn't use that joke in the sermon, but exothermic. I said, if I promise to use the word exothermic in my sermon, will you come and listen? He said, I don't think you can, but I will. And I said, okay. And you may recall last October I told you about William Sedgwick in the paper that he wrote on the variation of reflex excitability in the frog induced by changes in temperature. Uh, you all know that as the frog in the pot, right? Well, it just happens, it just so happens that it's an exothermic reaction that the frog used to jump out of the pot. So... Uh, you know, while that may seem to be a lame excuse uh, to use a word in a message, afterwards it led to a deeply spiritual conversation with my brother. And at about four o'clock in the morning, closer to five, he proclaimed that he in fact believed in Jesus Christ. Words mean something. And if God can use a word like exothermic to bring one to Christ, I tell you what, I'll use it. But if the word doesn't mean the same thing to the sender and the receiver, it's kind of a useless sound. There's no communication, it's just background noise, right? 
If I say a word, you don't understand it. You either got to take the time to look it up and, and, and then you lose the time and maybe even the train of thought or something like that. And so it's no good. It, it doesn't work. You have to be able to communicate. So, but some people are crazy about this. You know, you sit in a sermon and you go, what did he say? I don't know, but it was good. And so I heard this little ditty years ago. Perhaps you've heard it before in this form or most certainly in, a, in, a, in another. Scintillate, scintillate, asteroid, manific. How I long to determine thy nature specific. High aloft in the heavens so spacious, closely resembling a gem carbonaceous. Translation, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are up above the world so high like a diamond in the sky. I mean, do you ever think of what people, others think when you, when you speak? Are, are they pleased? Are they, are they rewarded? Uh, are your words helpful? Are they truthful? Are they, are they, are they wise? Do you edify your your hearers and and use kind and uplifting speech. Are family and friends strengthened through the words that you use? Do you motivate others to godliness and zeal? And are they thankful to have you around? Do you cause others' hearts to soar? Do you nourish them with your speech? Or do you cut them? And I'm not going to go into all that. When we go through James, I imagine I'll, I'll hit that. We're not in James, we're in Proverbs. But one of the most embarrassing things that's happened to me, startling as well, is when I worked in the hospital and uh, there was a person who was in the, the bed. The person was unconscious, but that didn't, didn't matter. Hearing's the last thing to go. And so I would often uh, pray or read with these people as they lay there and and I leaned up against the wall, and it was only a few seconds, but I discovered that my shoulder had, had cut off their oxygen line. Boy, that'll wake you up, I'm telling you what. So, uh, I learned a few lessons that day. One was when you're in a patient's room, always know where your feet, your knees, your hips, your elbows, your hands, your shoulders, and your back are. So that you don't you don't do that. But I also learned another lesson that I, I have kept with me uh, and and really desire to pass that on to you. And that is this in my relationships with other people, in my discussions with other people, am I am I supplying them with oxygen? Am I giving them oxygen or am I, in fact, depriving them of oxygen? Am I taking it away? Am I inspiring healing or am I bringing harm? Is my speech encouraging or is it discouraging? Do my, do my words bring joy or do they bring pain? I know, uh, I know for some of you that might be a little binary and, and that's okay. But it works for me as a, as a forcing function so that I, I try not to say things flippantly. That is, without thought. Using James language, what are some strategies that we can use, not simply of taming the tongue, as, as he would say, but as using the tongue to glorify God, the words that we say. You know, Proverbs 15 is packed with godly wisdom. And it shows us 
what our approach should be, and I'm going to cover four things. Usually we have one, uh, one verse. Uh, we're going to cover four verses out of Proverbs 15. It's so packed, we'll move right through it. First, the first thing is that the way that we communicate has the power to turn up or to turn down anger. Secondly, the way we communicate has the power to wound or to heal. Third, the way we communicate has the power to accurately inform and benefit those around us. And finally, the way we communicate has the power to change an event, a minute, as it were, into a moment. So first, the way we communicate has the power to turn down or turn up anger. Turn to Proverbs chapter 15 and look with me in verse 1. We all know this verse if we have been in the church more than five days. This is one that you've heard. And, but I'm not sure that we really know what it means. Proverbs chapter 14. It says, it says uh, 15, I'm sorry. It says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So not only does saying the wrong thing at the wrong time or even uh, not saying anything at all can tremendously impact our relationships for good or for ill, whether it's at work or at home or at school, at church, at play, whatever it might be. Every aspect of our communication, our words, our, our tone of voice, our spirit, our facial experience, uh, expressions, all the nonverbals that go into it, affect whether or not we're going to succeed in achieving this wonderful thing called communication. And here Solomon tells us that a soft answer turns away wrath. Now, now reading this, one might come to the notion that when in a confrontation, we must use a soft answer, meaning, meaning one that's not confronting the person with the truth or, or one that is uh, weak or one that is is timid, and nothing could be further from the truth. It's not what this word means at all. We're not trying to appease an angry person. I don't believe that's a spiritual thing to do, to appease them. We must not think of it that way, because that's not what it means. The word soft here, a better way to understand this word is tender. Tender, compassionate. Kind. Think of it as tender and true, or tender and tough, or tough and tender if you want to reverse it. Something like that. Not in tough in the sense of belligerent, but, but tough in the sense of principle, truth, the content, but tender, the delivery. The other word that concerns us is wrath. Another perfectly good word that can be used here for this word uh, is, is fury. Or the one that, uh, the one that I like best is, uh, in, in Hebrew, what they'll do is they'll double words. And when they double uh, word, they put the same word twice. It has this, uh, it intensifies it. And so the word in Deuteronomy, uh, or the words, the two words together in Deuteronomy 9, 19 are translated as hot displeasure. Now that's somebody who's pretty well upset. Here's the biblical idea. 
When someone is angry or wrathful or furious or filled with hot displeasure, they are being controlled by what? By their emotions. They are being controlled by their mood. So if you try to answer a person who is being controlled by their emotions with content, or worse yet, with harsh words and spirit, okay, if you harmonize with their emotions, you're going to be swept away with it, and you're going to end up, well, wherever it ends up, it's going to be an epic fail. So the reason a soft answer has the power to turn away wrath is not because you're being irrationally submissive or enabling of their anger or fearful even, but because you are appealing to them where they're at. Where are they at? They're being emotional. I'm not being emotional. Yes, you are. Well, you don't say, yes, you are. You approach them at an emotional level. Not an intellectual level. Not a content level. And the Scripture says that you're to be tender. So instead of matching emotions with them by yelling at the Hulk to calm him down, rather you show him a gift of a kitten that sneezes so hard he falls over. <laughs> Have you seen that gift? <laughs> he, sneezes, he sneezes, he falls over. Or the one that was sitting on the couch and he, and he falls asleep and he rocks for a second and boom. Over he goes, or that's going to be the funniest thing. Uh, but the, the one I like the best is the, the little kitten. He has a little fur ruff around his neck, and he yawns, and he makes the MGM roar. You know, so he looks like the, the lion. Cutest thing ever. In other words, what you do is you don't approach someone who has an anger issue with anger. It, 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 it doesn't work. In fact, the word that's used there, the, the word... Here, when you approach a person using harsh with harsh, the word that's used there is the same word that's used of the current that carries the flames up into the sky. The things that carries the sparks out into the sky, that's what happens there. So if you ever find yourself wanting to answer harsh with harsh, let me give you some... um, It's not technically biblical, but the concept certainly is. And that is, your grandmother was right. Shut up and count to ten. Don't say anything. Just count to ten. And if you count to ten, your emotions are going to come back down to a point where at least you can control them. Because this word harsh is talking about the kind of pain that a woman has in childbirth. That's the word that's used here. It's, uh, it's something that's extremely painful. So when somebody's being harsh with someone else, it never works out well. When was the last time you saw a fight that worked out well? It doesn't work out well. They just don't. But when we are operating biblically, we can make positive choices in the way that we communicate. So that when we're angry, we can, we can quiet ourselves And when someone is angry with us, we can choose to respond, not untruthfully or evasively, which some people might take soft to be, but tenderly and appeal to them at an emotional level. If you're the type of person who 
who likes to mark in your Bible, I think that soft and harsh, this binary thing is a pretty good place to mark because you have a choice. You have a choice when you're in the grocery line and uh, you have a choice when you're in traffic. You have choices as to how you're going to respond. And those choices as to soft or harsh, in, in great measure, they, they determine the outcome of the conversation. And guess what? If you have enough good outcomes to enough conversations, you develop a good relationship. If you don't have good outcomes to conversations, the relationship begins to deteriorate, begins to fall apart. So, And I need to say this. Forgive me for stating the obvious. Because neither you nor I are responsible for the other person's response, okay? We're responsible for what we say. We're responsible for what it is that we do. We're not responsible for how someone else responds to us. Our responsibility in this case is to speak with tenderness rather than with harshness. And I mean, if we practice harshness, uh, it, it, it just doesn't end well. So that's the first thing. The second one is the way that we communicate has the power to wound or to heal. This is found in verse 4, in 15.4, Proverbs 15.4, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. This is another formidable power of, of the tongue. We can wound or heal by our words. I want you to, I, I want you to look. Liz uh, tried to figure out what in the world kind of a bulletin cover could we have. And so you know what she did? She came up with this, sticks and stones. You know, you know the little rhyme, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will... Never hurt me. That's a lie. Is that a big lie? That is a big fat lie. You know what? That lie is so big and so fat that it came from the pit of hell. Words wound. Words hurt. Some hurtful words can last a lifetime. Some hurtful words can diminish your soul and your spirit. Words can hurt. But, if you were listening, I said that it could wound or it could heal. But the text says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but ferociousness is, and it breaks the spirit. Where does the healing uh, come from here? Well, again, this word gentle it doesn't mean precisely what we think it means in English. Perfectly good translation. I'm not challenging that. But it's not complete. We're left with some things undone here. Because the word gentle here actually carries this meaning inherently in it of healing. Jeremiah 14:19 uses the word when he says this. He pleads, we looked for peace, but no good came. For a time of healing, same word, this is the word that's used in Proverbs 15.4, but behold, terror, 
And a more well-known verse is from Malachi. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing. Same word. On its wings. Healing. That's our word. That's our word here. We, when we think gentle, we shouldn't think of easy or lax. What we should think of is words that bring healing. Words that bring health. Some of you may recall the story of Brian Jean Nichols. If that doesn't ring a bell, the, the, story, the story will. This guy was on trial for rape. Fulton County Courthouse in Atlanta. And uh, he overpowered a he overpowered a guard. He and stole her gun. He put her in a coma. Went and found the judge, killed the judge, shot one of the security people. On the run, he shot another. Okay, so he killed four people in a span, a very short span. And they took this woman hostage, and he forced this woman to take him to her home. And. She asked if she could read to him. Well, why not? Got to pass the time somehow. And so she started reading words of hope and and vision and purpose from this uh, book, uh, uh, The Purpose Driven Life. And the words that she spoke for him were words that gave health and and healing to him, at least to a point where he was no longer in a murderous rage. And her words not only saved her life and the life of doubtless those around her and perhaps even the authorities when they came to give him. You know what the guy did? He surrendered. He surrendered to the police and no one was hurt at all. Healing words are a God-given tool for our happiness, for our success. If you want to call it shalom, maybe even that's a better way to look at it. But it doesn't simply mean peace. It means prosperity. It means the wholeness of life is well. But it also says that a perverse word breaks the spirit. Breaks the spirit. I have, do any of you have any of those perverse words embedded in your heart? And I'm not talking about curse words. I'm talking about words that you might say bad. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about perverse words that were said to you that wounded your spirit. I mentioned one of those before, you know, how my stepfather said, you're so stupid, you'll be dead before you're 30. For whatever reason, I don't know why, he said a lot worse and a lot more, but that somehow wiggled its way into my heart. I'll bet some of you share some of those words. Some of those things. Someone in authority over you or someone that you cared about spoke so ill of you. That word perverse, it means crooked. It means distorted. It means deviant. It means aberrant. Those are the kinds of words when we're lied to, when we're betrayed, when we're manipulated, maligned, when we're slandered. This is what he's talking about. You know, and there comes a point. I know that some people like sarcasm, and and, and, uh, in some ways I do as well. 
But nevertheless, there's a point when sarcasm loses its humor. And it becomes something that really cuts the other person. And you know what sarcasm means. It means to tear the flesh. That's exactly what the word means. It's like people, you know, it's like the Scripture. You know, the, the guy stands out with his, his flaming arrows and he shoots them into your house. And when your house burns down, you go, why did you shoot the flaming arrows into my house? He says, ah, I was only kidding. That's, that's in the Scripture, you know that, right? That's in the Bible, yeah. I was only kidding. Hmm. Let me just say that all the drama and hurt that come from perverse words like that began, began in the heart. Third, the way we communicate has the power to accurately inform and benefit those around us. Uh, in, in verse 2 it says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out their, their folly. One thing you learn in the military real fast, and I spent 25 years, 24 and a, a, a bunch, uh, is that if you don't know the answer when the commander asks you a question, you tell him or her, I don't know. And if you should know, you say, I will find out. But what you don't do what you do not do is say something that you're not absolutely sure is true because that man or that woman is going to make a decision based upon what you've said and they are trusting you that your information is accurate, it is complete, it is comprehensive. That's why you're there. That's why you're at the table. If you don't have that kind of information to offer at the table, you should not be there. And if you are there, then you should keep your mouth closed. This is one of the things that you learn in, in, the, uh, in the military. And so that's what the wise person does. Because I tell you what, you just give bad information one time. You're, you're done. Oh, you may not get demoted. You may not get any kind of discipline. But the trust is gone. And it takes more than a regular old three-year cycle to get it back. And the wise, they don't speak. They commend knowledge. In other words, the knowledge that they have is commended. So what does that mean? It means that it's accepted. The, uh, <laughs> the fool doesn't, doesn't do that. This, it's kind of an interesting word here. The word here is as a, uh, like a geyser, a bubbling spring. In other words, the fool, the, the person who's not wise, they can't keep their mouth shut. They will answer you regardless. They'll make something up. It doesn't matter. You know, they're really the dangerous kinds. I tell you, if you ever, if you ever knew them, and in the political arena, this is, this is so true, it's a very dangerous place to be between one of these folks who love the sound of their own voice in a camera. Don't, don't get between them in a camera. This word commends is found in Genesis 4-7 where God is speaking to a very angry Cain. Yeah, it's the same word. Why are you angry, he says. God asked Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance, why has your face fallen? If you do well, 
Will you not be accepted? That's the word here, accepted. Same word, commended, accepted. We see the same word in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 23. If you keep his statutes and commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well. That's the word, that it may go well with you. So, I mean, words from the wise are accepted because the hearer believes that those words are designed to make it go well with the, with the other. Not the speaker, but the hearer, the, the listener. In fact, the word can actually be translated as benefit. It is a benefit to the hearer what the wise person says. Uh, contrasted with the person who sounds, who likes the sound of his own voice. Have you? Okay, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because that would really be bad. But I might ask for a show of hands the other way, though. And that is this: How many of you have ever, kind of unexpectedly, you didn't know, you weren't expecting it or whatever, but you recorded your voice on the phone or something like that, and then you heard it back and you go, "That's what I sound like." How many of you love the sound of your own voice? Right? Not many. Not many. And the, you know the re- there's, a, there's scientific reasons for that and everything else. But it almost sounds, it sounds strange to you because you never hear yourself just through the air. You hear yourself, you know, through your body. And your body, you know, if you, if you touch, you know, parts of your body, it, it vibrates. You know, and that gives you a sense of sound that's different from what actually travels through the air. So when you know you hear yourself on a recording or something, you go, "Oh, is that really me?" I just had a, you know, like you've been like you've been breathing uh, like you've been breathing helium or something. But some people love they just love the sound of their their own voice. But sometimes, listen, we know when we engage our mouths before we engage our brain. Have you ever done that? I, uh, it happens rarely up here. But it could happen. It happens more when, you know, you're not thinking about something. And then, it, you know when it really happens? It's when somebody's telling you something and you're determining your response before they're done. And so it just comes out and you go, ooh. It's like the preacher <laughs> who uh, who said uh, he, he he came to the realization that his uh, third point had absolutely nothing to do with his uh, first or second points, and you know he he was thinking about something else, and and it causes trouble. We know when we do this, but it's even worse when we engage our mouths without filling our minds and our hearts with God's Word. I trust that whatever system you're using, you're following as best you, you can the, the daily reading and absorbing of the Word of God. When we choose to say truthful, informed, helpful, insightful things to others, they're going to want to listen they're going to want to share because they know that it's a benefit to, uh, to them. Finally, uh, the way we communicate has the power to change an event 
into a moment. Look at verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season. How good it is. Many of us are familiar with this Greek notion that there are two words for time. The first one is chronos, who was actually one of the old uh, Greek uh, titans back in the day. I think Zeus finished him off. But nevertheless, we get words like uh, um, uh, synchronous, asynchronous, anachronistic, chronologic. Those kind of words come from that. And that has to do with the tick of the clock. Tick, tick, tick. My watch here uh, once or twice a day hooks up with some satellite that tells it what time it is. Right? You may have something along those atomic clock kind of thingies there. That's, that's chronos. And that's what that word means. But then we have this other Greek word, kairos. Kairos doesn't have to do with the tick of the clock. It doesn't have to do with the regular course of the sun and the moon and the stars. It's a very ancient word that has to do more than anything else with the weather. It has to do with the right time for the crops to come in or the rain coming at just the right time or winter holding off a, a, a little bit or, or storms veering away. It's an ancient word that the Greeks used to talk about the right time, the opportune moment. And while, while chronos is qualitative, kairos has this, or quantitative, I mean kairos has this qualitative notion to it. There's something more. And that's the intent of the word here. When it says a word in season, that's the Hebrew way of expressing this notion of kairos. It's not the tick of the clock. It is uh, the moment. It's not the minute. It is the moment. Saying or, or hearing the right thing is, is very enjoyable. It's, it's very fulfilling and satisfying. God made us that way. He's revealed to us as a being. And He's communicate and His desires to communicate with us. And He is filled with joy when we understand what He's saying. And so instead of going through life with this notion that, yeah, I can communicate here and I can communicate there, but I can't communicate uh, with God. This is... Very fulfilling and very satisfying that He's given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us everything so that we can do these things. I, uh, we got a, uh, received a, a clip, I think, last week that I, I think sums a lot of these things up in, in so many ways. We'll, we'll listen to that. We got a, so a young woman from uh, uh, Kajikistan or one of the stands out there, I'm not sure. But anyway, under the ministry of Jerry uh, and uh, Sarah Maddox in Cyprus, who we assisted in going, uh, her desire to go to Emmaus. And hers are words that, that, com- that commend. They're words that we they accept, that, that benefit us. They're words that calm and heal and inform. And uh, as well as as uh, changing her minute in Cyprus to a, a moment in life. 